The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So I wanted to continue an exploration of karma and um, just do a, a little bit of a, there's, there's a, few, a few kind of more pieces than the basic teaching of karma that I want to touch into today. But I'll just do a brief recap of the overall teachings of karma to start. So karma is a kind of a, a foundational teaching of the Buddha that's really connected to um, ethics. The, the teaching of karma is, um, the nat- what I'd say is kind of the natural uh, law of our human experience and our human minds that is the underpinnings for uh, the ethical teachings of the Buddha. Um, So karma is uh, an understanding or a teaching that when we act out of uh, greed, aversion, delusion, when we act out of what we could call unwholesome qualities of mind, we tend to experience um, suffering. We tend to experience unpleasant experience, which we tend to respond to with suffering. When we, because of our habits of mind, because of our habitual tendencies in terms of responding to unpleasant, pleasant, neutral, our habitual tendencies. When we, when we experience something pleasant, we tend to want it. We want more of it. That's a greed. When we experience something unpleasant, we tend to not like it. We tend to want to push it away. That's aversion. Experience something neutral, often we don't even really notice it, a kind of disconnection or confusion maybe. And that's uh, in the delusion area. And so um, when we respond out of those three energies, uh, what tends to happen is that uh, the result of that is that we'll experience unpleasant experience. When we respond out of non-greed, non-aversion, non-delusion, it tends to create the conditions where there's more a pleasant experience in our in our um, lives. But again, because of our habits of mind, even if we have the unfolding of pleasant experience, we tend to um, react to that with wanting, which then takes us back into this cycle. And so the, the teaching on, on karma, this understanding that when we, when we act out of greed, aversion, delusion, it tends to create the conditions that will perpetuate suffering when we act out of non-greed, non-aversion, non-delusion, it creates conditions that can lead us towards more happiness in our lives unless we are in our habitual mode of responding and reacting to those conditions as they unfold with, oh, I like that, more of that, Let let me hold on to that, let me keep that. So this, uh, this natural law of, of behavior, this is, it's understood that this is kind of just a description of how things work in our human experience. And so the, the very definition, in fact, of, of what something unwholesome is, something unhelpful, something unskillful, is based on this, this very natural condition. Those things that take us in the direction of suffering, 
are the unwholesome qualities of mind. Those things that take us in the direction of more, the possibility of more happiness are the wholesome qualities of mind. And so the unwholesome qualities of mind, those based in greed, aversion, delusion, are things like, you know, wanting and confusion and frustration and hatred and irritation and um, um, even things like boredom. That may be more in the, in the, um, the middle category. Confusion, boredom, you know, wanting, desire. So these, these qualities of mind that are, that are kind of, that they have a feeling of being a little off balance or off kilter. You know, we're leaning towards something to have more of it. We're kind of projecting ourselves into the future. We're not really here in the present moment. With aversion, we're pushing something away. We don't want it. We want to get rid of it. <coughs> and so the, um, this, this natural law of karma basically helps us to see and to understand the, uh, you know, what is helpful and what is unhelpful in our, um, in our lives. Now, it is, it, the, the, um, the teaching of karma has a, a little bit of a, um, it's a deeper teaching than just the teaching around what we could call some of the teachings around ethics. There's a connection between them, but the, the teachings around ethics often point to things we should refrain from doing, like refraining from killing, refraining from taking what's not given, things like that. Um, but the, um, uh, the teaching on karma is looking at what's the motivation behind action. So we might, for instance, um, walk across a lawn and step on a spider and have no idea that that has happened. You know, that, that there was no intention to harm that spider. There was no uh, uh, action of mind that even motivated that. It was, it was, it was more just a, a consequence of having walked across the lawn. And so that situation where that, you know, so your action of stepping on the lawn has caused the death of that spider. And yet the, um, the mind was not in a mode of hatred or aversion or wanting when that happened. And so the, the consequences of that, there's, there's not a, um, there may be, if, if we find out that we've killed the spider, there, there can be some results of that you know, some, some sorrow or sadness or delight. I don't know, it depends on, on, you know, what's happening. And there may be consequences of that response as well. Um, but the, the action of killing there, so when, when the, um, that that was not an intentional action. It was, we could say it was an accident. It wasn't something that we did intentionally. And so in that situation, there wasn't a, an unethical quality of mind that was being cultivated. On the other hand, think of the difference of like if you've got a spider on your wall and you pick up the shoe and you like, you know, smash it. Very different quality in the mind of, of hatred, of like wanting to get rid of this thing. Of, and, and so the, that quality of mind, that is where the, the tumbling on of these... Um, uh, of, of the 
perpetuation of the greed, the aversion, the delusion happens when it's arising in the mind. You know, when, when there is accompanying an action, the quality of greed, aversion, or delusion. We may or may not be aware of it. You know, it may not be a conscious greed, aversion, delusion in that moment, but the, you know, the action of picking up and killing the spider on the wall, there's some motivation that's connected with that. And in general, the, the, the teachings say that the, the, the motivations connected to some of these foundational ethical concerns, killing, stealing, when we do those <coughs> as actions, when we have the intention to kill and follow through on the intention to kill, that those are, those tend, they are motivated by unwholesome actions. They tend to be motivated by unwholesome mind states. Now, there can be gray areas in here, of course. I mean, this is how this ethical, um, uh, I mean, this ethical area has some kind of things to consider. It's not so black and white sometimes. Um, you know, the, 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 uh, the kind of question around, should I lie to um, you know, somebody who's knocking on my door looking for... Um, um, a Jew, <laughs> Anne Frank, you know, somebody looking for Anne Frank, and <laughs> yeah, we could, <laughs> yeah. Should, should I should I lie to to to? I, I mean, I hope I would have the the um, the courage to lie about hiding Anne Frank in my in my um, attic, because if I didn't, if I if I handed Anne Frank over to the Nazis. She would die, and so the the um, you know there's a, there's sometimes choices. There's gray areas where we have to make choices of you know what is um, you know the overall picture here, and yet there is still a consequence to that lie. You know there is still a kind of a fallout from that. You know that that maybe it's as simple as as just the kind of fear that would arise based on fear that that. Um, that officer would find out that you'd been lying, and and then there, th- what would unfold from that? So, th- so the um, the teaching on karma is a teaching on the intentional quality in the mind that's associated with actions, and that when those intentions are connected with these unskillful qualities of greed, aversion, delusion, it tends to head us in the direction of more suffering when it's connected with non-greed, non-aversion, non-delusion, tends to head us in the direction of non-suffering. And part of this is a teaching that the Buddha articulated, um, part of the kind of the natural unfolding of this, or the very natural kind of aspect of this law, is articulated in in the phrase, whatever one frequently ponders becomes the inclination of the mind. And we know this, you know, we know this. This is the way our minds work. When we frequently think about certain things, it tends to create the conditions for us to think about them more. And likewise, if we frequently act out of qualities of greed, aversion, delusion, it tends to create the conditions for those to happen more. If we, if we frequently act out of love, of compassion, of generosity, of kindness, it tends to create the conditions for those to appear more. So this is this natural aspect of the the law of karma. 
a couple of pieces about the the um, this so that so we have these actions that we take, and the the motivation that's connected with that kind of shapes our experience in the future. We act in a certain way; it tends to shape these things. If we act in unskillful ways, it tends to shape more unskillfulness in our lives. If we act in skillful ways, it tends to shape more skillfulness in our lives. And so the shaping aspect of karma, that it kind of tends to create what we will be experiencing in the future. Um, but the, the results, so this is called the results of karma. How the karma unfolds what the, the consequences, we could say the consequences of these actions, the results of the karma. Um, you know, sometimes it's that they, that the results of a particular action will happen immediately. There'll be a consequence immediately. Sometimes it'll be days or weeks before we experience a consequence of an action. Or in the teaching of the Buddha, it can be lifetimes from now that we would experience the consequences of that action. And so the the teaching on karma plays out over long stretches of time. In this life, over long stretches of time, sometimes immediate, sometimes years from now, and also over the scales of um, the teaching. uh, The teaching on karma is very tied up with the teaching on rebirth. And that's a piece that... um, I want to talk a little bit about today. Uh, I'll get to that in just a moment. So that's one piece, is that the, the results of our, how our mind is shaped by what, what we are engaging with in this moment. Now, first of all, our, our choices in this moment are shaped by how we, we were in the past. And we can see that too, you know, what, how, the things that unfolded in our history, in our, in our conditioning. That shapes how we relate to things now in this moment. And then how we are in this moment shapes what will unfold in the future and how we will tend to relate in the future. So that's, you know, that's the, the result of, of the um, unfolding of our experience. These results, uh, at the time of the Buddha, there was an understanding of this process of you know actions leading to consequences. Some people believed in that. Some people believed that actions had no consequences. That's hard to understand for myself because it seems so clear in the mind that you know that <laughs> that actions have consequences. Um, but there were there was a group of of um, ascetics at the time that that believed there was no consequence to our actions that we could do anything and it wouldn't it wouldn't affect our future essentially. Um, and then there was a group of people that had a very deterministic um, sense of how these things play out. So that if you did a certain thing, then this other certain thing would have to happen to you. So very kind of deterministic. You do X, Y will happen to you. The Buddha's teaching on karma is, it's, it's, it, it's like it's a little more nuanced than that. There is a teaching that when we, uh, when we experience, when we when we um, act out of the unwholesome quality, the teaching is that the result will be unpleasant, and it tends to shape more of that. 
quality in the mind. It tends, it, we tend to react more with greed, aversion, and delusion. And then that the, um, um, the wholesome qualities tend to lead towards pleasantness in our experience. Now, how we experience that pleasant or unpleasant whenever it arises in the future is not determined. Even, it even sometimes says that, you know, you might, it, there's, there's one teaching that points to somebody might do a very, you know, major unwholesome action based on, out of aversion. You're killing somebody, for instance. And the consequences of that might, um, you know, might be barely felt as an unpleasant experience. Just a little bit of unpleasant rippling through the mind. Now the reasons for that, uh, and, and then other times somebody might uh, do something with, a, with an, an unwholesome intention and then feel it very strongly. Um, somebody who gets caught murdering and then gets, you know, electrocuted. You know, this this uh, consequence very strong. And so the the um, um, a situation where uh, this, I told this story last time about Angulimala, who was a mass murderer at the time of the Buddha, and he met the Buddha after he'd murdered 999 people, and the Buddha had got him to stop and start looking at his mind and practicing. And um, because the Buddha had so much um, uh, respect at that time in this kingdom, when the king found out that Angulimala was part of the Buddha's um, uh, follow- followers, one of the Buddha's followers, he didn't take Angulimala to kill him. So he let him stay in that practice community, basically on the, on the strength of the, the Buddha's word. And so there was um, a possibility for Angulimala to look at his mind to uh, shape more wholesome qualities of mind. And uh, the story became that he eventually did become fully awakened, fully free. And so he did experience... He did experience the consequences of that, having killed so many people, in that when he went out for alms rounds, people would throw things at him. He would experience nicks and cuts and things like this. Well, this is pretty vastly different from, from being taken by the king and you know, shot or you know, whatever, however they, they executed prisoners at that time. And so the, the consequences of those actions essentially, were mitigated by the, uh, the intention and the ethical and the wholesome qualities that Angulimala cultivated. And so this, this is part of how the, um, the results are understood to not be deterministic. That we can, uh, you know, if we're, if we're just kind of going along with our our habitual tendencies, will tend to be doing what we did in the past, and that's what Angulimala did for 999 people. But things can change. We meet somebody, we learn, we hear a teaching, we start engaging with, with something different, engaging in a new way in the world. And this affects the mind. 
It affects the unfolding of that, the, the consequences. And so we can do something now and the, um, the results of that will, may play out very differently depending on how we are in the future. And so our future actions can influence the result of something that we do now. So this is, this is the kind of the piece around the, the results of our actions not being deterministic. So one piece I want to point to uh, before I get to the rebirth piece is, um, you know, sometimes in this um, teaching, you know, so we, we see and we recognize that when we act out of greed, aversion, delusion, it tends to create the conditions for more greed, aversion, delusion. It tends to create unpleasant experience. It will create unpleasant experience. It tends to create the conditions for more greed, aversion, delusion. Um, and likewise around the, the wholesome, you know, so um, we might think that everything that we experience, you know, so, so we see how our, our minds shape our experience. And some, some of the um, uh, understanding or sometimes a confusion can happen that uh, we think everything that we experience is a result of our actions, our choices, our, our, our motivations. And in the, in the realm of rebirth, you know, this can be um, quite disturbing for some people. There is a teaching sometimes that, um, um, you know, it's, it's kind of like we take, we could, we could think about taking um, in a moment when we have a new identity or a kind of a, a c- the consequences of something if we, if we have engaged in an unskillful action and then, you know, we kind of take birth later as this really angry being, you know, that that's the consequences of uh, some of that past action. Um, We see, we see how our, um, our lives have been shaped by our choices and our actions. And then we, we, we might think, well, you know, everything that I experience, and, and, and this is a question sometimes, is everything that I experience a result of something that I've done in the past or something that I've done in some past life? And the Buddha said, no, that is not the case. He said there, there are things that happen in the world, and he actually had a list of them. I'll read this. So here's the question. There are some ascetics who hold such a, a view as this. Whatever a person experiences, whether it be pleasant or painful or neither painful nor pleasant, all of that is caused by what was done in the past. So this this question of is every is all this pleasant unpleasant neutral is this all caused by our choices from the past? And the Buddha responds: Some feelings arise here originating from bile disorders, so physical illness. Some feelings arise here originating. 
sorry, I'll just, I'll just read the list. Some, some feelings arise originating from bile disorders. Some arise from phlegm disorders. Some arise from wind disorders. So all kinds of, you know, physical ailments. Some are produced by a change of climate. Some are produced by careless behavior caused by assault. And some are produced as the result of karma. And so, you know, that the, uh, sometimes we hear this teaching on, so your choices affect the shaping of your lives. And then people might think, well, then, you know, I should be able to, to shape my life so that only good things will happen. And, you know, the Buddha brings in assault here. You know, I think this is an interesting one. You know, if somebody assaults you, it may not be because of something you did in the past. It may not have been anything about your choices. I mean, it, it could be, I mean, in some, to some extent it's due to some, maybe some neutral choices, like, oh, I decided to turn left at this corner. And then, you know, somebody is just assaulting the next person that comes around the corner. The, the um, you know, the choice to turn left is a, is a consequence of some condition. But that, that, that you are assaulted, that unpleasant experience isn't necessarily a result of choices and decisions and actions that you've taken in the past. So the Buddha doesn't say that everything we experience is a result of karma. And so sometimes this, you know, in in terms of thinking about rebirth, let me just speak a little bit about rebirth here and then come back to this, this question. Um, so the, um, the understanding of rebirth in the Buddha's teaching, um, there's a lot of complexity to this, but the, the, the understanding is that the kind of the tumbling on of conditions of these choices that we make, you know, we make choices and there's a shaping of our lives in this life. We can see that. It's very clear to me in this life that the choices I make in this life are affecting my future. And that there's this kind of stream of choices and stream of consequences that's happening, that's unfolding. There's not an I or me there that it's happening to, but there is a a stream. It's kind of like um, a river. A river will tend to flow in a particular direction based on the channel that's been worn, based on the landscape, based on how much rain there is. Maybe it overflows its banks and then it starts to flow in a new direction. So there's, there's conditions that, that shape the flow of that, of that river. The river itself is not a thing. You can't really point to it and say, this is the river. It's, it's changing constantly. It's an unfolding of conditions. You know, you, you can't take a bucket of water out of the river and say, this is the river. You can't say that the, even the riverbed is the river because that can change. And, and the, the kind of pieces of the riverbed are being just washed downstream. And so it's a changing set of conditions. We call it a river conventionally, and that's useful. We can give directions to get to the river but there's not an actual like entity that exists independent of the conditions of the changing flow that is the river. And the understanding is that that's very much what we are like. 
and that the changing flow of conditions is shaped by our choices, shaped by our our karma, shaped by whether we respond skillfully or unskillfully. And that's a natural law. There doesn't have to be an I or me in there for that to unfold. It's like, here's a pen, and I'm holding it here, and, and this pen doesn't have to have a self or an, or an I am-ness in order to drop when I let it go. It's just the natural consequences of the law of gravity that that happens. The pen doesn't have to decide to fall. And so this is, this is a similar thing about the, um, the teaching on karma, that it, the, 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 the unfolding of it is just a natural, natural consequences of the way, of, of the, this, this human body, of, of what we have chosen, what, what the, the system has chosen. And so there's no, um, no thing here and so, given that there's no entity of I or me, um, the sense of rebirth, often when we think about rebirth, we, we think about um, an I or me being reborn. You know, I'm going to be reborn. I mean, it's like the, 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 the Christian notion of rebirth is very, seems very connected to a sense of self, of I am a soul that will get reborn in heaven if I do good things here and will get reborn in hell if I don't do good things. And so this, the, the Christian notion is, is a for, it's, you know, the Christian notion of heaven and hell, it's a form of, it's a form of rebirth. It's a, it's a kind of a, a, a limited form of rebirth in a way, it's, it's, it's kind of like my understanding of the Christian notion is that we come into being like from nothing almost at the beginning of our life and that that's where the, when the soul is created. I don't know of the, the Christian tradition really having the notion of souls existing uh, and being kind of pulled from an existing place into this, ru- this world. Mormons have, Mormons have that? Okay, <laughs> well, good. Thank you for... <laughs> so, so there's this kind of notion of the, the being, the soul coming into existence at birth, and then it perpetuates for eternity beyond that. When we die in this life, we're reborn in, in one future life, either heaven or hell. Although I think there's also this notion of... of, of well, anyway, never mind. We'll, we don't need to go into that. So it's the, this... this um, uh, th- that's how we typically think about rebirth is that there's a soul or something enduring that gets reborn. The Buddhist teaching on rebirth is not connected to a teaching on soul. It's connected to this teaching on karma, on this understanding of just a tumbling on of conditions. And the understanding is that at the death of this body, the the mind the, the the mind kind of the tumbling on of the conditions doesn't end at the death of this body the 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 physical um part ends and transforms into earth and water and other things um but the mind, the mind stream and the, the choices, the actions that have been made, essentially the, the Theravada understanding is that at the moment of death, 
that this mind stream of um, tumbling on of conditions connects to uh, another set of, uh, another body in the womb, in some womb, and is reborn. So you know this. This is uh, this is the this is the Buddhist understanding of, of re- the Theravadan Buddhist understanding of rebirth. The, there's some other versions of this in the Mahayana tradition, where there's a, a kind of a a bardo place where that mind stream is not connected to a body for a period of time, and then will find its way to another uh, another body. And so in the Buddha's teaching, this, this tumbling on of conditions continues from one life to the next. It's, maybe we could think of it almost like in this river analogy. I just had this, this image of, you know, in certain places I've seen um, more streams on the East Coast where I've been uh, a stream kind of running down the hill and then suddenly it disappears. You know, it doesn't end. It kind of goes underground. And, and then maybe it appears someplace else later. And we might think of that as a different stream. But it, the conditions, it's connected. The conditions are connected. And so the, the, um, the, the notion of rebirth is that this tumbling on of causes and conditions, this tumbling on of um, uh, the mind of consciousness connected with um, its shaping influences doesn't end at, um, at death, but that it, it, it goes on. And, and that, you know, it's gone on for f- eternity in the past, <laughs> you know, that it has just been continuing, this, this rebirth. And there's a, a, a notion that we have been um, he said, if you look at any person, you have been you know, their mother, their father, their sister, their daughter, their brother, their, their king, their slave. You know, you've been all relationships to them over the eternities of rebirth. And so this is, this is and, and the, the understanding around the connection of karma and rebirth is that it's just a very lawful process. How we are in our past shapes the conditions of this life shapes the condition of future lives. Um, so the you know this for some for some people, particularly in the West, is not an easy um, teaching. For some people, it seems very intuitive. Um, for others, not so much. Um, for me, I would say it has not been a very intuitive teaching. Well, partly because I think that, that, I mean, I'm a very experiential type person. You know, I, I like things grounded in what I can experience. And I have n- zero sense of prior life or, you know, a sense of that. So I don't, I don't have an experiential connection to it. And so, um, you know, the Buddha taught that this is a part of how karma unfolds. And, uh, you know, a teaching... Um, you know, so in some ways, the teaching on karma um, to me, to me, I don't, I don't feel like I need to believe in future births in order to connect to and recognize. Yeah, I don't want to act unskillfully here. 
I, I, you know, I want to engage in a way that supports wholesomeness and love in this world. Um, so I don't feel like I need this idea that if I, you know, engage unskillfully, I might be reborn in hell. I, I, don't, I don't seem to need that in, to motivate me to, to practice. Um, so, you know, I, I hold this teaching for myself. I kind of hold it lightly. I don't know. I don't have any evidence that supports it, but the Buddha taught it. And, you know, a lot of what the Buddha taught has been extremely helpful in my life. And so I kind of hold this with the, you know, it's like, well, I don't know. You know, I have no idea what happens after death. So I don't say it's not true, but I also, you know, I have no evidence for it. And so for me, it's not a particular motivating factor. It doesn't, the the, the notion of future lives doesn't, doesn't feel very motivating in one way or the other. And yet, um, uh, for some people I have spoken to, it's very motivating. This notion of, you know, the. Um, it, for some people, it's it's like, well, you know, I don't want to go through this again. <laughs> so, you know, let me do what I can here. Or for some people, there's a, there's a little bit of an attachment to the notion of, well, like, you know, oh, you know. There's, there's a little bit of hope in the notion of rebirth. This isn't my only opportunity, you know, so that, you know, if I, if I, you know, don't understand it here, I'll have another chance. So, so, you know, there's, there's different ways of relating to this teaching on rebirth. But in terms of this, um, you know, the teaching on, on rebirth, you know, the, there's one teaching that the Buddha offered that's very challenging and I'll just, I'll just express it. And I, I heard a teaching by Bhikkhu Bodhi about this recently, and I liked the way he did it. He said, okay, here's what the, the Buddha said. And he was talking to, in, in, some, in one particular condition, you know, somebody was asking, so why are some people born with certain, you know, illnesses, or why are some people have long lives, some people have short lives? And the Buddha says, well, you know, sometimes people have long lives because they engaged... Um, in certain ways in the past. They engaged skillfully in the past, in past lives. Sometimes people have illness because in the past they did certain unwholesome things. Um, so, so there's a teaching that like, connects how we are experiencing this life with things we did in a past life. And for people who are experiencing a lot of suffering in this life, the... the um, uh, the, ki- the kind of picking up of like, well, I did something bad in the past, and that's why I'm experiencing this now. Well, that's there's there's that's um, that's not what the Buddha taught in two ways. First, there is no I, no sen- There's no soul that is that did something in the past that is now experiencing the results of that. There is just this stream tumbling on. And so attributing, you know, like, well, I did something bad in the past, so that's why I'm experiencing this now. That's a mistaken understanding of, of rebirth. And then the other reason it, it is um, not necessarily connected to what the Buddha taught is the Buddha taught that not everything that you experience is a result of karma. And he mentioned assault. You know, so, you know, reflecting on... You know the way certain um, 
um, groups in our in our population are oppressed. You know, is that a result of past karma or not? You know, it's it it's not it's not clear. There could be some effect from the past, or it could just be this kind of confluence, like you know, turning right and being assaulted. It could just be a confluence of events. And so, to um, to me, the the teaching on karma is is mostly helpful in terms of recognizing that how I am in this moment, because this is the only moment we have any say over. And I love that teaching on Angulimala because it's like, yeah, somebody who killed 999 people at a certain point in his life chose a different way and radically changed the course of his life. So this moment right now, this is the moment we can affect. This is the moment we can choose. This is the moment we can shape. We don't have much say over what happened in the past. I mean, it's, it's over. It's done. We can't change it. It's like, that's, that's what happened. And yet in this moment, how we respond, can we respond with wholesome qualities? And one of the most wholesome qualities we can respond with is meeting it with mindfulness and compassion. Opening to it and recognizing, yeah, this is what's happening right now. Can I, can I meet this? Can I be with this? And not reacting out of, aversion and hatred and fear. And yet, if that's what's arising, you know, if, if aversion and hatred or fear are arising, then can we meet that with some compassion and mindfulness? Even that begins to shape things in a new direction. And for me, this is really where the teaching on karma feels so um, powerful and important, is that it is this moment and our choice in this moment that affects the shaping of our lives. So, um, ah, one other piece I'll say here is that, that this shaping in this moment we can shape, you know, it's like we can shape the beautiful as well. And so if we are, are shaping and, and choosing, to res- choosing to meet experience with wisdom, compassion, and mindfulness, that tends to shape more wisdom, compassion, and mindfulness in our future. And so the choices in this moment are very powerful. And this is essentially what, what our practice is. It's, it's choices to engage with the skillful, shaping and conditioning our lives in a new direction. So um, questions, comments, reflections on this? Yeah. One of uh, life's rules to me is, fortunately, this doesn't happen very often, but once in a while there are actions one takes that simultaneously have both some very positive and some negative consequences. And they come together in a package. And then yeah. the, so, so give me an example. Um, well, I can think of one example in my personal life. Um, I was debating whether or not to report to the police, someone who had hurt me but was in very dire financial situations and was struggling with supporting their family. I talked it over with family, friends, uh, the minister of my Unitarian Church, and the consensus was, yes, I did have to report this to the person to the police because they could 
hurt further people. And this was a matter of justice, not revenge. Uh, and, but nonetheless, after I did this, I had these deep wave of feelings of vindictiveness. Ha, 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 I got you, sucker. And I felt that those emotions were not healthy ones, yes. really. Uh-huh. Uh, but So I'd been persuaded to do this for the right reasons, but then all the wrong reasons <laughs> rose, yes. to, rose yeah. to the surface. Yes, mixed motivations. <laughs> <laughs> mixed uh, mixed s- response, yes. So um, there's someone I uh, know about who is a someone I know who who is a troubled person uh, and I mean they were both unmarried but he got into uh, an affair with a woman that seemed to simultaneously have both very positive therapeutic consequences for him and had very negative consequences for him I mean I could really see that this was having a positive both a very positive and a very negative impact on his personal life yeah in uh Simultaneously, yeah. So, no, I think uh, I think this, this is this is a big riddle of karma for me. Yeah, you know, I think um, um, you know the the choices that we make in the past that they they play out in very interesting ways. I mean, some of the choices. I mean, that we we like to think about. Well, this is the choice that's unfolding here. And yet there's a lot of other stuff that's influencing how we're experiencing things. So it's not just about that one choice. It's about a whole history of, you know, responses and reactions and what we've been taught and how we've been trained from the past and what we believe. All of that also can affect. And, and we, we can hold conflicting beliefs if we hold conflicting beliefs. Like in this case, it's almost like conflicting beliefs. It's like, yeah, right. you know, that... that, that um, and those beliefs come from somewhere. Right. So, you know, that, that, that the unfolding isn't just about one particular action. It's a vast kind of web of interactions that weave together. And the Buddha actually said, you know, in a moment, if you try to understand the experience of this moment in terms of all the causes and conditions that are shaping this moment, he said, you'll go mad. It's just too vast. The, the conditions for the experience in this moment are, are it's, it is vast. And so it's, it's most useful, I think, the teaching on karma, not to try to figure out, well, what choice did I make that led to this? But how can I respond now to this that will shape something more skillful? And in that case of seeing that vindictiveness is like a skillful response would be, wow, look at that. Okay. That hurts. <laughs> Yeah, um, and, and let's just see yeah. if anybody else has a question first. Is there is there anyone else who has a yeah? According to this, um, it's on the way that um, the Buddha articulated it. If if you attain enlightenment, whatever that is, then in future lives. You would also then. I so mean, this is an come, interesting. This, so this back. is a this is an interesting piece. Um, so the attainment of enlightenment, full enlightenment, um, ends the cycle of rebirth. In the Buddhist teaching, it's it's it it, it it's again it's not that that that. Uh, 
It's not that something um, goes away or disappears. It's more that the the kind of tumbling on of conditions has like worn its energy out. So it's like that energetic momentum of the next, the next thing, the next thing, the next thing, that that has kind of wound its way out. Um, so there's a couple of reflections on this. Um, um, the, the, the analogy of a flame is, or fire is used, and, and, and this analogy is actually kind of used as the um, analogy for awakening, enlightenment, the word Nibbana, actually means the extinguishing of a fire, the going out of a fire. But Tanisaro Bhikkhu has a, 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 an interesting book where he points to what, is, what did that even mean in, you know, the, like we think a fire goes out, it goes out. Like there was something there and it's not there anymore. In the time of the Buddha, um, fire was a property that kind of, bound to matter in certain conditions and didn't bind to matter in other conditions. It was either manifesting or not manifesting. And um, it wasn't that it wasn't, you know, it's not that it's either there or not there when it's not manifesting. It's just not manifesting. And then conditions come to be and it manifests. And the, the understanding of the full awakening is that essentially the non-manifesting of consciousness is the result of that. But does it exist? Does it not exist? The Buddha wouldn't say anything about that. He says it doesn't apply, existing and not existing. That doesn't apply here. He says what happens when a flame goes out? It goes out. You know, it's... it's so then that, that, um, I think you turned it off. So then that aspect of, of um, I, the word I have for it is the bodhisattva, but I don't know if I'm using that properly, right? The sense that you return to... So a bodhisattva... Until, until yeah, all beings Yeah, the bodhisattva is, so is somebody who is committed to full awakening and deferring their full awakening until so all beings you have to defer your so own if awakening you're going to be reborn <laughs> you're going to yes yeah it, the, the bodhisattva path is is one of being reborn many times right exactly yeah, yeah. but 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 not fully awakened but probably at a at, at a, a pretty hi- at, at, at a higher at, level. at a higher level yeah and then in the tibetan i guess there is reincarnation of yeah, a different being. a different form of yeah. It's like the 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 Tibetan tradition does have the understanding of I don't it, I don't think it's being, You're but right. but that a a the choices one that the choices a stream of karma can make can uh, land that stream of karma in a particular situation. That would be that would be reincarnation, and that you know the the understand and then you know, the recognition or remembering of prior lives that can be connected to that too. Right, but then there's, but then there's the, 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 you know, the Dalai Lama, that the yeah. same energy stream basically yes. keeps, so that's a little different than um, the Theravadan because that's an enlightened being basically is what they're saying. Well, again, the, the, um, 
I, I think that the stream of consciousness. Well, it, it's not. It, I, my understanding, in even in the Mahayana, is that that's not an enlightened, fully enlightened. Oh. You're still deferring oh. <laughs> enlightenment. Yeah. 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 It's uh, kind of wild. <laughs> and. Books about books about karma or books about and rebirth. There's a there's a it depends on how technical you want to get. Um, but <laughs> um, um, one one um, paper it's available online um, is by. Um, a person named Paiuto, P-A-Y-U-T-T-O, and it's called, I think it's called Good, Evil, and Beyond, um, and it's a description of this teaching um, from the Buddhist perspective. Um, that's the main one that occurs to me. Oh, oh, you know, Ajahn Suchito wrote a book on karma. That's, that may be a better place to start. Ajahn Suchito. Um, I think it's just titled Karma. Oh, Karma. Maybe it's titled The Karma That Leads to the End of Karma. It, it, um, it could be called that. But look for Ajahn Suchito, and that should be freely available online as well. Online. Yeah. And his, do you know how his name is spelled? A-J-A-N. A- the A-J-A-H-N. And then Suchito, S-U-C-I-T-T-O. And we should stop now. Thank you. And I actually have one more karma topic for next time. And that's free will. (laughs) 